Mazen. I was really um, uh, motivated after the last time we were connected from the program uh, responding to racism. Um, I just wanted to start by asking you kind of, how are you feeling now compared to then? I think it's been, you know, a couple of weeks and things seem to be changing all the time. Um, have you noticed any kind of shifts in, in yourself that have been happening recently? Mm. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, you know, um, the, the kind of metaphor of like the stages of grief um, kind of has been used a lot in my community, people talking about how they've been experiencing this moment. And I think that there's a way in which um, that's alive for me. Um, also, for me, and I think for a lot of people who are activists and kind of involved in this work all the time, you know, in various ways, um, I didn't, for me, there's, there's a lot of actual excitement and hope. And, um, you know, it's, I'm kind of waiting around for a time when people are awake and, uh, you know, responding to what's going on. Like, uh, one thing that a lot of, you know, I'd say with a lot of my, you know, black friends and stuff, it's like, people have been killing us. Like, it's been happening. It's not new. Um, and so what's new is, is the people being awake about it. And from that perspective, um, it's really exciting. Another part of it is that I'm, it's kind of the bittersweetness, but like I'm busier than I've ever been because there's so many people who are like, oh, this is this work that I should have been doing, it turns out, but I haven't been doing. And like, what can we do now? Or a lot of organizations that one thing that's really exciting are getting a lot of funding and now have a lot of opportunity to do some good work. So um, how I'm feeling is excited, uh, stretched, blessed, um, you know, definitely making more time to like grieve and heal and be in, in my emotional experience of things than usual, just so I'm not carrying that with me into things. Um, there's definitely been a lot of, uh, you know, it's just so fascinating being human, you know, these bodies and these brains that just hold on to the stories that you experience throughout your life and things happen around you and those stories come back up and, and, you know, one version of spirituality is like, I am detached from all things and I have no emotions and I am blissed. But <laughs> what's felt a lot more real for me is like, this is coming through, you know, and like getting bullied as a kid and like getting called the N word in middle school and those kinds of like emotions and memories are coming up in my dreams. And uh, it's just also an opportunity to deepen my own healing and, and my own clearing so I can show up to spaces like this and, and, um, and, and, practice compassion or practice uh, gratitude or the things that I, I want to be contributing. So that's how I'm doing. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Well done. Cause I'll say <laughs> I've been finding it more and more difficult to even describe how I'm doing in general. I don't know if you have, if you have that experience at all, but it's like, you know, we get asked that question. It's like, Whoa, how am I doing? It seems like, seems challenging to answer if I'm, I'm trying to answer it truthfully, right? Because yeah. it's, it's almost too complex. All the different emotions and things that, that come up throughout the day, it's like all of this. But, you know, I guess what, what am I feeling right now, you know, in this moment? Um, that's easier. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I appreciate that. And I think that one thing that the pandemic has shown me and I, I hope many others is that 
our, our lives and our experiences are so much more complex than we're present to often. And the more present I am to like the, all that's going on in this little, little body in this little earth suit is just like, Oh, wow. No. Um, so. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think words and labels are maybe something that um, it might be a good idea to check ourselves on sometimes that they're limited, right? These are just words that try to point at something or we label even ourselves as I am like this, you know, and that's, doesn't that constrict from your experience? Because it's like that and this and this. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and it's, it's, you know, one of the things, it's, it's actually, let's just dive right in, in that piece because um, one of the questions I've really been sitting with is how do I, as an agent of change, bring my spiritual principles into my work? And um, on one level, it's like, taking care of your what I what I my mentor kind of calls the conscious conduit like a conduit of energy which is your body and your mind and this like this being that you are that you get to bring energy through and it's like am I angry or am I feeling angry you know am I sad or am I feeling sad like and there's there's a difference there like hello I am sad who are you versus like I am Mazin or even I am and I'm and what I am is experiencing right now sadness which which keeps me in the game um and also, you know, to, to really think about, um, yeah, just how, how, um, how to not limit our movements with labels, like how to not think of something like Black Lives Matter as this monolithic movement or what these protests are about and what they stand for as this monolithic thing, you know, because there are so many perspectives and beliefs and values and stories and hearts that are expressed. And um, I mean, and, and there's, it's just, it's so complex, it's like this living organism. And I think that uh, just as we do with ourselves, like try not to label and constrict, I think we really wanna um, hold that just openness with, with what's going on in the world right now. Um, at least I'm trying to, hmm. yeah what you mentioned about kind of incorporating uh, your spiritual practice into your work, did you say, right? Mm -hmm. it, I kind of find it interesting that there seems to be this tendency to have a spiritual practice and then have a life outside of spiritual practice. <laughs> In a way, I kind of want to feel like, wait, is that not the point that spirituality pervades everywhere? It's how I do everything. It's not just when I, go and take a class or take time to, to meditate. It's, it's interesting how it seems to be uh, compartmentalizing uh, for, for many of us. Um, any, any thoughts on that? It's, um, I think that is really the final frontier of, um, of our awakening. Because um, for me, when I compartmentalize my spirituality, it is the uh, recipe for pretense. And it's the recipe for, for um, living incoherently with my, with my values and who I really am. And um, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Let's just put it that way. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's not the way that I, I want to live. And, and, and I think it's, it's the opportunity that we have right now is to also remove this false compartmentalization between 
being an activist or being a social change agent or being someone who's engaged in in the work of, of healing and justice and creating a world that we all can thrive in and our spirituality because um yeah you know we 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 can get stuck in this like idea of spirituality as this thing I do to make my life less hard. Mm. You know, it's this thing I do to ease the, to cope basically, you know, with my human experience rather than um, the human experience itself. It, you know, it is, it is what, um, it is why we're here. For me, when I'm like, I think I didn't come here to leave, you know, I didn't come here to this planet to like, find the quickest exit through enlightenment. You know, I, I came here to, to live, you know, like I came and as a human thing to, to experience. And, you know, furthermore, as a black human, you know, and as a black human whose parents are immigrants and like as a male bodied human and in, in America at this time and like all of these things um, are part of our, like people try to think like, I am not that, I am not that, right? And it's like, I am not that and I am got put into that, right? I am got uh, expressed into that. This is my current avatar, right? So can't, what if that tells me something about my, my, my purpose, my path, my spiritual, you know, my dharma is like informed by this, this um, physical thing that I'm here to discover and explore and learn. Um, so that's, that's one piece of it is, is, is uh, I don't even remember what your question was. Um, where is spirituality not right 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 when we're when we're compartmentalizing it yeah so we'll get into this a little bit later but i i really do hope for everyone who's who's watching you know as you're listening um you know this is the question that i'm really just posing right now is like what if you were to discover that racial justice was a part of your dharma okay so yeah i really want to talk to you about this um I, I, I've been thinking about it since, since the last time I heard you say that and what, yeah, what if, yeah, racial justice, what if all justice, I think is really what you're pointing to a little bit is, is our Dharma, that our Dharma is not to sit back and not be courageous, right? So even like the spiritual practice itself, like my feeling is that if it is not, um, you know, imbibing you with uh, courage, then perhaps you're not doing something right. Because a true spiritual practice, uh, I feel, should lead me. What I'm interested in is a feeling that I have absolutely nothing to lose. And when I feel I have nothing to lose, then why would I not um, be a cause for justice? Like, what else am I interested in my life than trying to bring justice? At this particular time, focuses on racial justice. But there's so much more justice, right? It's, it's totally endless. And that doesn't have to be overwhelming either. That, that can be wonderful. Like you said, I, I'm glad that you connected with Dharma because is that similar for all of us that our Dharma is connected to courage, mm -hmm. stepping forward, mm -hmm. not kind of being fearful? Yeah. There's a, there's a saying, yes. You know, uh, I think it's, uh, we're getting the name of this amazing human who had this quote, but like, you know, to, to all that has happened, I say thank you to all that is, you know, to all that is coming, I say yes, you know, and um, I think that uh, one thing that you mentioned that's really important is for us to recognize, you know, what in the social justice world we call intersectionality, which is that um, 
you know, there's racial justice, but within racial justice, there's, you know, various, uh, there's gender-based justice and sexuality justice, and there's, there's just uh, so many ways, and ability, and people have different abilities, and people who have different incomes, and there's so many things within our system and our structure that are um, unjust, you know, and, and to, to use a working definition of justice that I like to use is, is love expressed publicly and equitably. Because everyone who's alive, except for like a very small group of people who have, I think are very sick, you know, we could call sociopathic folks, um, no love is, and there's one or something that, they, but uh, one of the problems with our society is we, we live so scarcely with, with love that we think we can only give it to certain people in certain groups. And I think that's, you know, and segregation leads to that and because it leads to ignorance and then ignorance leads to othering. So, um, so yes, there's, there's the, there's the um, aspect of intersectionality and like all justice. And I think the other thing that our spiritual practices can teach us is this idea of focus and this idea of like the holographic nature of the universe, right? where like, you know, you can find the whole universe in a grain of sand and you can find all of, you know, knowledge and enlightenment in like one uncomfortable yoga pose, you know? And one of the things about racial justice uh, in our recent history, last 500 years, um, is there's, uh, it's, almost like, it's almost like a yoga flow actually, because, you know, there's like a movement like the civil rights movement and like the black led freedom movement and Black people, which is in our specific context in this story in this moment, have a specific like specific way in which they're getting um, oppressed, right? That for some reason, a lot of people can connect with it through music and hip hop and art. And like a lot of people can be like, you know, they listen to that music and they see that struggle and they're like, wow, like that's that I somehow that moves me, you know? And like when, when, uh, when, when segregation was ended and the civil rights movement happened, right after that we saw like a huge LGBTQ plus movement. And right after that we saw this big uh, feminist and women's rights movement and all, and it's like, so I guess all that, that to say is, um, there's a value in, in holding intersectionality. And there's also a, a something about like right now, there's a specific thing that has come up. And it's like, I guess the question, and I'm always asking it, you know, am I being called to focus on a specific thing right now? Hmm. Because when the Me Too movement was the thing that we were waking up around, right, for me to be like, oh, well, I'm black, right, would kind of be like a little disingenuous to the moment, hmm. disingenuous to the to there's a specific calling, there's a specific cultural awakening right now. And right now in this moment for someone to, to like say like, yeah, well, like, why are we just talking about black people? There's all these other things, right, could also be another way of kind of shying away from this uncomfortable thing that's being put into our face in this particular moment. So I think there's a call to focus on this right now and to hold that it is not that simple, that there is an intersectionality. Yeah. Uh, I love that you're, you're bringing up this point because I think it is a, uh, it's a way of, of running away almost. It feels like to me to say, Oh, but what about this? And what about that? Mm -hmm. um, to just kind of throw a wrench in the whole thing. It mm -hmm. seems uh, it seems easy uh, to and do so, it all. And so human, you know, that's just the, the thing that like, it's like, I, I can't say that I've never done that. I can't say that I've never deflected mm. in a moment where I was uncomfortably faced with something. You know, it's hard and, to be with the suffering, right? I mean, it's hard. 
to, to, to look yeah. in, into the darkness, what that is, to spend time there. That's as challenging as it gets, right? And, and, it's, and it's exactly why we need to bring our spirituality into all aspects of our lives. And that's why I come and I'm, I'll talk for a yoga institute or like is because I know that there are people there who are interested, even if they're not skilled yet, even if they're not, even if their intention and their impact and their alignment hasn't yet come, just as I was earlier on in my journey, like this was my vision and this is what was my action. But um, there has, we have to be willing, you know, I think to be an effective aid of change to really be in a growth mentality all the time. And, and, and I, I really uh, have learned lessons the hard way, you know, that came from arrogance, you know, the same, that same stuff that the yoga books teach you about, you know, it shows up when you're trying to be a leader. Um, but yeah, I just appreciate this. Yeah. Have you experienced that there is even uh, maybe a type of arrogance which shies away from even the word spiritual or the word yoga, that, that type of thing. Um, and I'm very interested in, in kind of expanding that, uh, that idea, that spirituality. We are spiritual beings, all of us, whether or not we label ourselves as that. And I'll, I'll take the example that I think you gave uh, in terms of uh, black culture and everyone loves black people, right? It was a great thing that, that, that you said, right? Love and, black people secretly. Right. And, okay. And you explain. Ex Go ahead. I was going to say, like, I mean, because there's a lot of people who don't love black people, right? There's like yeah. white supremacists, but they're still obsessing about black people, which is this funny thing. Yeah. Well, I think more of your point was that a big part of the black culture, right? It's, it, we, it's not so so clear, but a big part of it is this call to be free and to be authentic. That this is me, right? Shedding layers of I don't know if we call it, you know, the white culture or whatever other kind of culture is. Um, you described it as like uh, very proper and yeah. attention towards perfection, right? Doing everything exactly the way that it's supposed to be, and how other people perceive you, and all of that, and. Right. That is restricting in a way that is not the spiritual path. The spiritual path is, hey, this is my truth. This is me showing up. And um, it, I think that, you know, black culture in, in a way really uh, points to that. It does that. And that's liberating. So, you know, is that spiritual, too, in a way? Right. Isn't freedom spiritual? It is. It is. Uh, you know, um, I love I just thank you, you know, I love that we can have this conversation very blatantly. Because the truth is that, um, and this is what Ruby Sales, who's a civil rights veteran and a theologian who I, I respect so deeply, every time she speaks, I, I want to cry. She says that um, black folk spirituality, which is not Christianity in the, in, in the church, but it's the folk spirituality that came from people in the fields of, of plantations who were enslaved, who uh, they were put through you know, the most intensive spiritual purification and, 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 you know, process of suffering and like spiritual awakening, like, you know, like they were the medicine that they needed to create to survive that kind of an experience is so potent and so powerful that I think that's why 
black music and jazz and funk and rock and hip hop and the way that we talk and the way that we dress and like so many factors that we don't even think about, right, are so coveted and, 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 and um, loved and appreciated and healing so many people around the world is because it is such a, it's like a, a tincture that is so potent and powerful. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying to what a lot of people call white supremacy, what a lot of people will, will call white supremacy culture, which is a culture that white people are supreme. People will call it the patriarchy. People will call it many, many different things. And my personal belief is that underneath these many names, it is one thing which we could call the culture of separation. You know, if you think about like, the Cartesian revolution and like the other side of the so-called enlightenment when it was like, let's categorize and dominate all of nature and the natural world. And we are going to give everything a name and give everything a label. Every plant and every tree has a, mm. a subcategory and a subcategory because we as humans must master and dominate everything in the world. And that pseudoscience of thinking that, you know, anything, you know, then got extended to say, these are the subcategories of humans. And you've got the Negroids and the Eurocaucasoids and the fucking whatever you call it. All of that bullshit, total and utter bullshit and total and utter ignorance. And I don't call it arrogance. I'm trying not to, use, I, I use arrogance with myself because I can recognize it as arrogance within myself. And, and it would be arrogant of me to like label others as such only because the only thing I can, for sure say that it is, is wounding. I would say that there's there, the human in that person is very deeply wounded and they're ancestrally wounded, right? Um, for many, many generations to feel like they need to do that. Um, so when I see that happening, people who are like, no, not spirituality, you know, I would say that what we could call white supremacy and what we could call patriarchy, which is the culture of separation, the culture of we are, we are separate from the world and nature and, and each other, right? That has so deeply come into their bones and their psyche that they could even fathom a statement like, I am not spiritual, or this is, or I, you know, this is not for me. And, and one last point I want to make on that is, um, you know, when we talk about uh, a consciousness awakening, right, around race, I want to actually talk a little bit about what the hell is race, because we, it's another label that people mm. are, are using so drastically, right? So I'm going to just, you know, quickly, this little, for everyone, race and ethnicity are two different things, right? As far as like looking at what is true, right? Ethnicity is your heritage. It is like actually based on a biological reality of like who your ancestors were and the DNA that creates, you know, I could say that my ethnicity is Afro-Asiatic because there are people who come from a land called Africa and people who come from a land called Asia, particularly Yemen and Syria and Turkey and then later in India and all those people mixed and collab collaborated in the birthing process in the place called Sudan and, and here I am, right? But my race, race is not a biological reality in any way. And it's not just that it is, it is a completely constructed thing but has real physical reality implications, just like citizenship does, right? Just like, are you or are you not a citizen? Are you or are you not a felon, right? We made that up, but it is, has a real physical reality implication, right? So let's also take a deep breath, because I'm... I just want to make sure your, your brains have capacity <laughs> to receive this. Yeah, I want to make sure your brains have capacity to receive this. So race is a social construct that 
comes out of this culture of separation, right? And it was used in just like we wanted to label the subcategories of animals and plants. Um, race is like a caste, you know, so a lot of people here studied, you know, the, the, the scriptures of yoga. So you're familiar with things like caste systems. That's how it ran in India. Race in America is in its essence a caste system based off of some ethnic traits. So once upon a time, if you were in America and you were white, you actually, there, so once upon a time you were in America, there was no white, right? There was Irish people and there, there was basically rich people and poor people. There was aristocrats who were the second sons and the descendants of the wealthy of Europe, of particularly England, right? And then there were indentured servants who were prisoners and the children of the paupers, the children of the like, the, the, the um, Protestants or whatever, like all the like scum of the earth according to the, to the aristocratic class of Europe, right? And, and we'll get into what happened in Europe and the dark ages and the like centuries of trauma and the witch burnings and like the killing of the indigenous people's pagan history and like, you know, this culture of separation, right? So people talk about healing and I'm healing and they don't want to talk about race, but like they're missing out, especially if you're European descent. So much of the healing you have to do is specifically around your ethnic lineage and your ancestry and race. All, so much of your suffering in, that you're experiencing is that you have been told that you are something that you are not. And, and you have all these comforts, right? And what is comfort all about, right? Because, you know, you go to yoga and you go to these retreats to get uncomfortable because you've been so comfortable <laughs> that you can't even connect with what's real anymore. You know, you're just like coddled. And that's the, that's the curse of privilege. But anyway, I want to close this point out and then, and then and change it back up. But um, race is this caste thing that was created because the, the European poor and indigenous people and, and African people that were, were captured and enslaved were all working on the same plantations for a while. Not in the exact same conditions, but they were all subordinate, right? And then it came to a point where it was more strategic to say, you know what, they're starting to collaborate and organize and see that they are in the same boat together. So we're gonna start to like, we're gonna tell all these Europeans, hey, you get to be white, right? You get to be actually above everyone else and we're, you're gonna get the easy jobs and you're gonna be like, you know, still in service to us, but you know, it's not gonna be as bad. And you don't need to be like those black people and those, and those indigenous, you know, those red people, whatever they're Indians. Um, and so that kind of lie that happened all the way back there, just kind of generations and generations later. Um, so race and ethnicity are two different things. Race is really a caste system that we have in America. And so much of the yogic traditions and the spiritual traditions were designed to liberate people from a caste system, mm. right? In India, these Brahmins were like rich aristocrats, you know, a lot of the case, but they were just like looking at the world and they're like, nah, like this is not how it's, this is not, this is not how it's supposed to be. And they were trying to bring their community and their culture out of this, this uh, illusion of, 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 of supremacy. Competition. Of competition and, and, and of, of, of othering and all these things. So when we talk about racial justice, we talk about a awakening and a liberation, not just of uh, a very essential liberation of people's physical reality, you know, to be safe, to, to exist in America, which a lot of people aren't. We're not just talking about, you know, the liberation of people who are in prisons, 
right now who are, are basically working as slaves. You know, the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, says it's still legal in prisons, right? Um, which is mostly black and brown folks. But we're also talking about liberating ourselves to be human again, liberating ourselves from these illusions of whiteness. And, and even there's a way it's an illusion from blackness. I don't want to say that like blackness and whiteness, they also exist as cultures and there's a beauty in that. But, but from the idea that I am that versus I have that, right? Like, is it that you are white or is that you have white privilege and white socialization and that's a part of your story? Is it that I am black or is it that I have been socialized as black and I am cast as black in this society and I experience what it means to be black? Um, but, you know, at what point do we start letting the system tell us who we actually are? Mm. And that's a real challenging question that we need to be asking. Mm. Thank you. Wow, so much. Um, I I want to uh, follow up on this idea of of separation and and even as you just said, the system telling us, you know, who we are, telling us that we're separate, right? Yes. So it seems that there is a balance here uh, that might be worth investigating in terms of feeling a part of a tribe and also feeling connected to everything, right? So there, there's this part seems to me that's very healthy for feeling, okay, this is my tribe. This is my group of people. I'm connected with them, my family, my community, whatever it is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to see myself against other tribes, right? Is this the, is this the ultimate fallacy? And And on another level, like, are we in it together, whether we want to be or not, whether we want to see it that way or not? Like, doesn't the, the pandemic show us, uh, that friend of mine said, you know, if I'm doing well, but my neighbor isn't doing well, then I'm not really doing well. Yeah. And if your neighbor has got COVID, then, you know, you you really got to look at what's going on. Right. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, um, I really appreciate that question because um, the question I think for me is, is yes, there's a health, there's a healthiness in community. There's a necessity to community and tribe. And um, the question for me becomes, what do we base that tribe off of? Do we base it off of our caste, Mm. off of our race, right? Without thinking about what are our values and what are our traditions and what are our beliefs and what are our rituals uh what is who you know like i community and tribe is really about belonging and a sense of belonging somewhere and it's about just like logistical efficiency and effectiveness because Mm. surviving in a sustainable way alone just is not going to work you know and like as a as a species the amount of consumption that's necessary when you live individualistically versus collectively and cooperatively, it's just not sustainable, right? Some people are doing it, um, but uh, you know, it's, but it, it's just, there's a like, there, and it always has been that way. Like when we lived in tribes then, today, you know, if you live in America or in Europe or something, like you can, you can live in the illusion for lifetimes on end that you can live alone, but it's not sustainable for us as a species. So let's just say there's the logistical reason that we want to be in tribes, but there's, there's a belonging aspect. So, you know, I long for the day that we base our communities and our tribes off of what we believe and what we, what we, Mm. what we value. Um, And there's also 
a value and a necessity and a, and a power to who's around you, right? Who you live with because of that, like logistical, like who you can go and share with and share food with. There's a, there's even a thing of like who you have history with, who you have family with, because ancestry is then connected to family and, and all of that is valuable. And then we, it just, one of the challenges, and I don't say I have the answer for this, is that we have been so segregated in this society, right? Like the history of America is one of bringing everyone, all the like lineages of the world into one place and then subdividing and categorizing them in every single possible way so that you're faced with everyone who's different from you and even then set against each other, but uh, not actually together, you know, and that's the part that really breaks my heart. And so for those of us who, for me, you know, I, part of my spiritual path has actually been um, really going out of my way to be in community and togetherness and belonging with people who are different from me. Mm. And it's my way of leaning into the discomfort, you know, and, and a lot of, this is just a topic that I'm, I feel like people on this call might be interested in. A lot of people are like, you know, they want to have more black friends. They want to have more people of color friends. They want to have more friends of different backgrounds. But like, I don't know anyone like, because, and it's like, yeah, because we were so segregated, you know, like you didn't grow up with anybody like that. You don't have those old relationships a lot of time. And like, there was aspects of that that you, we, we didn't have control over. And so, you know, for me as, as, like, there's just, like, always people who are like, Mazin, like, be my friend, you know, like, <laughs> be my black friend, you know, like, come, come oh, to my birthday God. party, you know, like, and, and um, the approach, I was just thinking about this the other day, you know, the approach that, that uh, I take when I want to deepen my relationship with other communities and learn and, and be stretched is not to, like, cling on to, like, the one person I met from that background, but actually, and, you know, find the digital way to do it now, to go as a, be a guest in that community and, and, and offer something, bring something to the table, like ask if you can come to the party, bring something to the potluck and, and, and go be in the discomfort of being one of the only people in that space. Because, um, you know, I, I sometimes like talk to my, and, and, and really if, if you come of, if you're of European descent, it's especially this way, but it's so true if you're of Asian descent, of black descent, anything, you know, like there was a, a um, survey recently done by, um, I think it was the Washington Post, and it found that uh, 75% of white people, uh, so uh, they did a survey of white people in America and 75% of their close friends, 75%, all of their close friends were white. 75% of all white people, all of their close friends were white, right? But the statistics were not that different for black people and other people of color. It was a little bit lower because usually if you're a person of color, you live in an urban area um, because of other historical things. But um yeah, part of the spiritual journey, right, is like you don't just go to Bali and hang out with a bunch of white people in Bali, which is what people do to like go explore, but like go go kick it in the tenderloin of San Francisco and go connect with people. You know, go be in the spaces with people who you have been systemically and, and structurally separated from and go see that you are one with them. And that is just, I feel like, such a deep way to, to really uh, heal and dismantle this racial wound that we've all been put on. It makes me think of this idea of, uh, the word that comes to mind is elasticity. Mm-hmm. That to, to expand as a human yeah. uh, might be a real shared uh, goal that, that we all have. That, you know, but it's so easy to repeat the same comforts, right? It's comfort, I know this. 
Like that's why people stay in really challenging, abusive situations because what they know, right? Yeah. So this spirituality in a way, I think points us to look at what we don't know, the new, the new path, the new road. Yeah. How can I become more expansive? You know, it's, I, I love that you said that. And the thing that came to mind is we need to expand the brand of spirituality because right now the brand of spirituality is basically comfort it's basically yeah. like esoteric comfort tactics because this is spiritual y'all you're uncomfortable right now watching this video it doesn't it doesn't track with what you call spiritual because usually spirituality is let me go bliss out in on a comfortable pillow in some really comfortable expensive yoga pants you know in a really comfortable chalet you know, and, and I do that shit. I love that stuff, right? <laughs> but that's, I can't really say that that's where, like, my spiritual growth has come from. It's just where my spiritual budget goes, right? But um, this is spiritual right now. This, this knot in your stomach and this, like, little tension in your heart, all of that is breathe into that right now. Breathe into it. You don't even need me to guide you in a meditation right now. You can breathe into this moment and whatever's coming up for you, and this is spiritual. So place this in your inner altar, right? Because I've spent so much time being a people pleaser. That is a big part of what it means to be socialized in this earth suit, right? Is like, you're like, let me just make white people comfortable. Because when white people get uncomfortable, <laughs> you freak out. <laughs> and and, and I, I, I can see why now, right? Because that's how white people have been uh, in the matrix. The control for white people has been comfort, whereas the control for black people has been violence. And the control for other groups has been, you know, some combination of the two. Um, so, <sighs> Can I say on top of that, that, you know, in a way, I feel that the greatest reward for uh, authentic spiritual practice is the ability to handle difficult situations with grace, right? Like that's really what, what it's about. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm interested in that I face something that I've never faced before. And it's so hard and somehow I'm able to be with it and not lose my center. Yes. You're that is um, perfect. Perfectly said. And um, one of my, um, you know, here's the thing, you know, I was going to say one of my great fears for the movement. And um, yeah, it actually, yeah, I would say it exists as a fear on, on the human level. I don't want to like uh, deflect or like kind of hide away from that experience of an emotion called fear. Um, and I also, my higher self, right, sees it as a challenge and opportunity. Um, but what we were talking about earlier, uh, you, you know, like, what for me my or like yeah like sometimes i'll go into a spiritual situation and my arrogance will say oh my god these freaking hippies like oh my god like right and like it'll be like this is just even though i'm like the like dude who eats kale every day um <laughs> right because we have egos and we get uncomfortable and we want to shy away right um so i would i would say that like there's a wound that we all have that that wants to like kind of like detach and go back into the like I'm separate from everything because it's too much to be connected with everything. That wound, that a spiritual and and, and um, materialistic 
wound in, in materialism, not just in like, let me buy things, but like disconnected from spirit and, and the, the, the greater picture has really come into social movements. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that we really need to look at. Um, you know, uh, I think one of the reasons that there's this awkwardness and this lack of grace, sometimes people trying to enter into social justice work. Uh, and the, the thing that we have to recognize and have compassion for is that um, when you're comfortable in life, it's very easy to connect with spiritual stuff because comfort is not bad. It actually gives you a resource and a capacity to then go get uncomfortable in other ways, right? If you're already uncomfortable, it's, you can only get so much more uncomfortable, you know, before you, you, you panic and you freak out and you shut down, right? So like you have to have a certain amount of comfort to go on an ayahuasca journey and go get really uncomfortable, right? To go on a like 10 day silent retreat and get really uncomfortable. But you know, you go into it with a specific intention. So social movements uh, and, and the activist culture, right? These have like volunteered themselves either in this life or before they came here to say, I'm gonna go be on the front lines. I'm gonna go sit in the heart of the discomfort. I'm gonna go listen to the stories of the people who have experienced suffering on a physical level that, you know, people can hardly imagine. I'm going to go and sit and grapple with this history and really face my ancestral lineage and what they've been through and what they pit people through. All of those things, right? But the challenge is that, uh, and I've done this, you know, and, and it's, it's really been one of my biggest wake-up calls, is uh, we just have to really be resourcing ourselves because when you go into that space, you know, it's so stressful. And it's the same thing for people who work in corporations, Right. That's why they're like, I don't want to be spiritual. Right. There's trends of the people who avoid spirituality. It's people who live in environments that are so stressful and so dehumanizing, uh, you know, that that like the discomfort of something called spirituality, which is like opening up to your real experience of this life mm. and feeling all the pain and the suffering and the grief that you've been through, feeling all your ancestral stuff, feeling the world's weight on, you you know, you got to go through that purge, right? If you're going to open up to spirituality. So the people who shy away from that tend to be the people who are like in the most dehumanizing and unhuman experiences sometimes. Not always. Some people like black people, right? Have, have somehow been so resilient to create a spiritual system that doesn't require Lululemon and, you know, hardwood floors and, all of these, you know, different uh, essential oils to, to, to be spiritual. They found a spirituality that is resilient, that can survive and, and can can work its way through any, literally the worst possible imagined uh, situations. And that's the other thing too, is, you know, what's your spiritual survival kit, you know, because are all your practices and tools requiring a lot of very expensive and delicate um, items and technologies, you know? Um, so, uh, all that to say, to expand, you know, to, to be a successful movement, one of the reasons I'm, I really like talking to people in the spiritual world about spiritual, you know, community, about like, hey, come come become activists, like, you're missing out. There's this, you're trying to liberate yourself and you're trying to become awakened and enlightened. And you will, ne I'm sorry to break it to you, but you will never do that unless you look at race and gender and class and all these things, because that's the heart of your, of your imprisonment. Mm. You know, it's not just that you can't sit in lotus, you know, perfect lotus for three hours. It's not that you, you know, you can't 
you know, hit whatever, you know, handstand or whatever it is that people think is going to be their metric of enlightenment, right? The real thing that you are li trying to liberate yourself of, whether you're aware of it or, or not, is the same thing that the activists are trying to undo. The social justice activists are the spiritual yogis of our society. The community organizers, they're putting communities through asanas and, 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 and poses to heal. They're putting them through meditations of consciousness awakening. That's what the Black Panthers were. The Black Panthers were like to the, the body of the black community, you know, where the yoga instructor and saying, okay, now you're going to eat breakfast and we're going to bring you breakfast because you couldn't afford breakfast and we're going to put this free breakfast program for your children. That is yoga, right? That is liberation. So um, people are here on this individual level trying to liberate themselves and not asking the questions that have imprisoned them. Right. And really the element that you're pointing there towards is service that mm. is there does spirituality even exist without service and, and asking that question of, of what do I want to do with my time? Yeah. Right. Like at a very basic level, like what do I want? Do I want to just get through this whole thing or do I want to use mm -hmm. this being mm -hmm. to do something that serves. Absolutely. Gosh, thank you. You know, I, I really appreciate you for like using, you know, these very concrete things to just keep grounding us down. You're a great interviewer. I appreciate it. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can go off. Um, Vata, go figure. Um, so um, for those who are familiar with the doshas. So um, service. Let's talk a little bit about Dharma, mm. which is a Buddhist term, but, you know, we're yogis. We, we mix it up. Um, That's what we are talking about, right? Or the relationship with Dharma to service, right? Is exactly. there Dharma without service? Exactly, exactly. You know, um, people talk about Dharma in a lot of ways. And one of the definitions that I really like is uh, one that um, one of my teachers, her name is Ra Goddess, R-H-A Goddess, amazing, amazing woman and teacher and, and, and activist and hip hop artist. So uh, she talks about Dharma as your true nature expressed as your highest contribution. And there's these three parts there, your true nature, who you are, what you value, right? That inherent thing, like you were born with this, this, these qualities in you that are just who you are. You try to run away from them and you suffer and you go towards them and you feel fulfilled and satisfied. And they are your, my other mentor, Maria Nemeth talks to them about the standards of integrity, right? They are your nature, right? They are just who you are and they, they, they're a map of your, of your true being ontologically right? Beyond even your name and your, and your labels. So your true nature expressed, it must be expressed. It must be demonstrated in physical reality, right? Part of being a human being that makes us unique from other forms of life is that we have this like very complex uh, metaphysical reality. When I say metaphysical, I mean thoughts and ideas and dreams and vision and all of this stuff is, is not physical, but it's real. You know, these ideas that we're exchanging, these feelings we experience, right? And then we have these physical bodies and we are this bridge between these two realms of energy, you know? And so part of, I think, the purpose of being human is actually bringing things through, you know? That's why we call ourselves conduits, right? So there's visions and values. You have these values. I value compassion. I value integrity. I value creativity. I value belonging, 
So it's part of my dharma is to express these things, to demonstrate these things and bring them into the physical, tangible world. And then that last piece is your highest contribution, right? Is then this, it's the path of refinement and mastery, right? You're not just all willy nilly, but you're like, okay, how can I really refine in this lifetime? You know, this expression of my true nature into the highest possible contribution I can make. And that's when the Dharma and your purpose starts to take a form that starts to feel like, you know, something that you could start to put in words. Um, and it evolves, you know, um, I know I, I talk a lot, but I, I, I really think this will help people because people then be like, well, what's my purpose? What's my Dharma? Like, I need to go to a, a retreat, you know, to like get this like three sentence phrase. Well, you think about being a parent, right? Being a parent is a part of a Dharma, right? It's a part of a purpose that you live in this life. And it's always as long as that baby is alive, you're a parent, right? But what does that, how do you express and demonstrate that purpose? of parenthood being a loving parent which is being a loving parent that's a vision that's an intention right it's not physical you express it when the baby is two years old by changing diapers you express it when the baby is 10 years old by helping them with their math homework you express it when the baby is 40 years old by helping them raise their children you know and you express it on your dying bed by telling your your children some wisdom about how they can live their lives that same intention that same dharma that same purpose that contribution you're here to make it will take so many different forms and evolve so I want to bring that all the way to social justice activism. Each one of us on this call has a dharma. And what our society is awakening to right now is that I have been, all of us have in some way, and I say all of us because if it wasn't all of us, we wouldn't still be here. Some of us more than others have been sitting on the side of the, of the, of the hero's path, sitting on the side of the journey and watching our journey and our dharma go past us. And part of that dharma is healing your ancestral lineage, healing your identity when it comes to race, healing your identity when it comes to gender, uh, engaging with your community. There are so many things that activists have been up to, social justice organists have been up to, right? That a lot of us have been sitting on the side of the road and, and sometimes, and part of our dharma collectively right now is getting back on the path, right? And, 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 and really embracing that I will never fully express my purpose until these things that are just the the ocean that someone alive in this moment is swimming in are addressed okay uh getting back on this path getting yeah. back on the path for oh, us God. so i think what you're what you're pointing to what i hear hear you saying is there it seems that there might be a a, a bit of a danger for how we approach that path that if we approach it with um one of the right words, uh, comp compulsion, sense yes. of compulsion, yes. then, uh, or fear yes. that, that this is what I have to do, you know, yeah. the, uh, rigidity, then yes. that ultimately won't sustain that uh, perhaps it has, there has to be this sense of lightness, a sense of, 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 of happiness towards, uh, taking action towards finding and not, not a stress because when there's a stress to it right there, I think it's over. Is it not? The, the, the heart of what you're saying is exactly the point. Um, I wouldn't use the word happy. I'd use the word joy and I would use the word fulfillment and satisfaction and alignment and these kinds of words, because the whole emotional spectrum is going to be a part of your Dharma. Part of your Dharma, I think is sadness and happiness and all these things, but you're right that it can't be compulsive. I mean, how's this, right? 
I need to go do yoga, otherwise I won't have a nice butt and look good on Instagram, right? I need to go buy this like yoga mat because that, right? Like it's the same thing. It's a pretentious, you know, I need to like meditate so I can be calm and like seem cool around my friends. Like there are so many ways that we can do things for the wrong reasons and then it never has the impact because we know on a spiritual level that like the, the, the holographic universe, the universe in a grain of sand, the why behind what you do, what you do, will tow its intention, right? Like, let me go support these black people, right? People like are like, let me go give this money, right? Why are you doing that, right? So I'm not saying don't do it, but like you could literally just shift your intention in the moment you press the button and that can make a huge difference, right? Of like, I, I, someone on Instagram told me that I need to donate to this group, you know, and I'm white and I feel guilty about that. So I'm gonna go donate. Mm. You know, like, okay, thanks, but like, that's not healing you. That's not transforming you. That's not transforming our society. That's just like, it's not bad, but it's not as good as it could be. So you're 100% right that we need to do the work of finding, just like when you find like, am I a Kundalini yoga type of person? Do I like the, you know, Hatha style, what is it, you know, like, uh, what is it, the breath flow? Uh, vinyasa. Vinyasa, you know, like, what's my style? Like, what's my, what's my, my, my lineage? What, which of the many lineage of social change do I want to get into? And, and what aligns with my values? I, I, I think there's, there's another point that's important too, though, is not to necessarily feel that your dharma has been swimming past you, as you mm. say, you know, because in a way it's all happening right? Like everything is a part. If you've been sitting on the sideline, then that time sitting there is also a part of your Dharma. I know that's kind of like a technicality, but it is in a way, I think, liberating to, to see it this way. Um, because all of that can be used when you get on that path. Yeah, yeah. Right. Everything, all the, the suffering, all the time that you, maybe if you feel like you were being phony or playing a character, all that can be used as motivation to be more genuine. You're 100% right. You're 100% right. You know, all of my talk about authenticity and stuff comes from me having spent many, many years being one of the most pretentious dudes you'd ever meet in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, how can you know uh, uh, something sometimes until you've seen what it isn't, you know, is, is important. So uh, I think that there's a both and, you know, it's like, the moment you recognize you've been sitting on the side of the road is not the moment to like lament and guilt and shame of like why I've wasted so much time, but it's the moment to say, Oh, not supposed to be here anymore. Like, all right, like, let's get back on track. And, and, and you're right. You know, we have to use humor and we have to use, um, like we can, it's like there's lightness and heaviness and that's a different variation than like shallowness and depth because something can be deep and light, but, uh, you know, and something can be like heavy, you know, and shallow, right? Like it doesn't need to be heavy and like, just feel like suffering for you to be doing really right. Like there's that whole martyrdom, which is another ego expression of like, I need to be the martyr, you know, and like to, to make up for all of the, the damage that my ancestors have done. I need to go suffer and, you know, whip myself on the back. And it's like, who's that for? You know, that's not for no one, but your own ego. So the, even in this moment, it's like, I'll notice myself, like start to like energetically get heavy with it. And it's, it's even part of my own practice of like, how can I speak what is true? 
in a deep way, not in a shallow way, not in a comforting way, but also stay connected to things like gratitude and compassion and presence and surrender and these things that make it lighter and that keep it keep me able to see and act clearly and 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 be aligned with my authenticity my integrity it's a constant journey Mm. yeah yes uh i want to shift a little bit um because there's something i really just wanted wanted to ask you about um the one of the the words i think it's being used a lot right now is privilege Mm -hmm. okay and i want to ask you about kind of what that means and specifically white privilege. And again, right. I think this is one of those areas that like, Oh, it might be uncomfortable. Right. But I'm going to, I'm going to go towards it um, because I feel this, this is, this is important. So I'm just going to tell you what my personal speaking completely for myself, my understanding is right now of, of the message and um, how I'm kind of directing uh, my energy and my intention. So, when when I hear white privilege, right, what I take that to mean, right, is the the message to acknowledge that they're that I am privileged because I'm white, right? What I take that to mean is that because I am white, I have certain privileges. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and someone who is black doesn't have those privileges, right? Just based on the color of our skin. But I don't think it means to say, you know, just because you're white, you're privileged. Like you have a life of privilege. It's just saying in this particular area, you have a certain privilege based on that. And the reason why I think it's important is because I think perhaps the way many people feel, right, is like, Right. Life is so complex, right? It's so experience, our experience are so much larger than just the color of our skin, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe someone is white, but they didn't have parents, right? Or they're debilitated in another reason, or they experience some kind of suffering that is well beyond. And they're like, what are you, you're saying that I'm privileged because I'm white. Do you know what I've been through in my life? So um, I just think it's important to make that distinction. And again, for me and myself, like, that's how I see it, that, that as a result of being white, you have certain privileges, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're, you're privileged. It's, 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 it's very important to hold that it is much more complex than that. And um, let me see how I want to approach this. So privilege, um, in the context of like, you know, talking about your dharma and your purpose and all of these things, I, I actually think it's valuable for people to look at it in is like, it's, you know, you were born with most privileges you're born with, not all, right? There's privileges you can gain, like going and getting a degree and, and whatever, right? But you're right, there's so many different kinds of privilege. And like all Americans, we have this in immense, anyone who's been outside of the country, you know, I've lived in, in the Middle East and I've lived in, Af- in Sudan and in, in Northern Africa, right? And it's like everyone there in Sudan would be black here. But when I'm there, I have so much privilege as an American, having an American passport, like all Americans when COVID-19 hit were evacuated from Sudan and given free flights back to America, free hotels then to stay here, you know, for two weeks to quarantine. The kind of privilege that that it's like so unfathomable, right? Like my life 
like the system counts my life more than other Sudanese people in Sudan, in their own country, because I'm American, because the country that I have a passport from has a lot of guns and a lot of money, right? So privilege is so contextual because race is a caste system that's based off of your location. I'm not black in Sudan, go figure. I'm Arab because I speak Arabic and my family's Muslim and from the North. Black people in Sudan are the people from the South of Sudan, what is now South Sudan, a different country, who are like much darker skinned and like aren't mixed, like we're mixed with Arabs, right? We're like half and half. They're like purely African. And like when you look at the history of Sudan and the privilege and how it was split up, the British basically did the same thing that they did in America where they said, the blacks are here and the whites are here. They went to Sudan and said, okay, the Muslim Arabs of the North, y'all are the, gonna get all the money and all of the education and you're gonna get all the stuff. And then these other people are gonna be basically subordinate to you. They were enslaved. There are people in my own family who, who actually had slaves in Sudan, right? Slavery there is completely different than what slavery in America is. It's, you're still a human being and you eat the same food as everyone else, but it was still a subordination, right? So privilege is so complex. And you can, we'll have another talk, another satsang about privilege on another day. But, but here's what's important to know about privilege, okay? First of all, you're, it, something being your fault and your responsibility are two different things. Whether or not your privilege is your fault is, is, a, is a question that is not worth anything to anyone except for your own ego. It gives no one anything for it to be your fault or not be your fault. Because fault just results in guilt or not guilt, shame or not shame. Fault doesn't, is not a redemptive in any way. Is it your responsibility? Responsibility, able to respond, right? Does it give you the capacity to do something in this world? that other people can't do? Is it a part of your dharma because it is part of the skills and gifts and resources and abilities that you were born with that you can contribute to the movement and, and help make people's lives better because you have this stuff? Yes. It is absolutely each one of our responsibility to recognize that we have privilege and then leverage that privilege in the direction of our dharma and our purpose and our contribution. Now, another thing about privilege that's tricky in our society is that because of the way it's set up, because privilege has been given to one person at the expense of another, what people don't recognize is that by simply being normal and going with the status quo and, and just like enjoying the benefits of this privilege, you are actually participating in the perpetuation of this other person being unprivileged. People don't recognize that by simply like being like, well, I got this great job and I was promoted and all these things are happening for me in my life really easily. And I'm just going to not look at that and I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm just going to enjoy it, right? That is part of, it's like watching people suffer and watching something happen in front of you and having like the ability to stop it and just saying doing nothing, right? And that, it, it, in my belief, actually, like for me as a man to like see something like the Me Too movement or see something like, you know, trans people being, uh, you know, hurt and dehumanized and not do anything about it is a way that like my privilege gives me the opportunity to pretend like this isn't real and look away from my family and people who are suffering. And that's part of the problem because only when we're looking away can it continue. So what privilege is, is it, is it gives us a responsibility and it gives us an opportunity. And I think that's how people need to look at it. It's like, you have this, just like if you had a bunch of money, you might ask, how do I want to spend it? You know, um, it's, an, it's a something to spend. It's a resource. 
I love that. And, and you know, I, I also ask, you know, why, why is there a tendency to turn away? Right. Same thing and what was that? Same thing we talked about earlier. Cause it's comfortable. Right. Well, cause it's comfortable. And I think that there's also another piece there too, that it's overwhelming. And maybe that's, you know, um, there's some discomfort there, right? Because, you know, all the injustices in the world, it's, it's so much and I'm just one person. But I think really what I hear you saying is that, you know, I, even if I can only, you know, make the world a little bit more, you know, equitable in a way, like that's going to serve me. That's my dharma. And if we all do it and we all see that way and we all don't get overwhelmed, but we, we look at what we can do, then that's wonderful. That's how it happens, right? You know, it's like, you know, I love yoga and I love Qigong and like, you know, I can't master every single spiritual path, you know, you know, like you got to, you, you know, part of, uh, part of this life is you can't be distracted and you have to focus because on a spiritual level, you know, that overwhelm is what the yogi teachers would call distraction. Hmm. It'd be called entertaining all of the uh, non-essential thoughts, right? It's entertaining, like, you know, like, did I leave the stove? Oh, did you leave the stove on is probably one you want to entertain. But, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, how does my butt look in these yoga pants, you know, or how do I, how do, am I too skinny, you know, in this yoga class, like something that used to come up in my head when I was trying to do yoga. I'm like, am I, am I like, good looking enough or whatever insecurity that comes up, right? Those are distractions from your mm. purpose. You know, your purpose here is to do yoga, right? Mm. So it's the same thing with your Dharma. You know, you have to, no, you have to, you don't have to do anything, <laughs> but you ought to um, see. And, and this is maybe like a good place to like leave people on, on, a, on a note of action, right? For you to make the greatest contribution you can, which I know is what you want to do, whoever it is watching this, right? You want to like lay your head at the end of this life and say, I spent it well. The people I love remember me for making a difference. People I don't even know appreciated me because I, I spent my life, you know, in some kind of service and some kind of contribution, right? The invitation is to notice what's happening in our world and let the world be your teacher. If the whole world is waking up about racial stuff, go wake up about that. There's something there for us, right? The whole world's in a pandemic. Clearly we all needed to, but like, if you see your, your brain saying, oh, but what about this and what about that? Or like, I don't think they should be looting or I don't think they should be doing this and you're criticizing people, that is a distraction. Mm -hmm. It's not about you. The only way it's about you is that this is an opportunity to see what you're here to do and what you're here to contribute in the world, right? So I'm, I'm saying this to everyone who's watching, right? Like, there is an opportunity for you to heal your ancestral lineage, your physical body, and your cells that have, like, gone through. Go look at what is the trauma that your ancestors endured that then had them put certain trauma onto other people that in that process then traumatized you and da-da-da-da-da, and then you got put in this body... And now you have the chance to heal all that, to, to, to uh, uh, you know, lift that energy and transform that and put it into something, right? What is your opportunity to create beauty out of this wild story that we have been born into? Um, and let every aspect of who you are and what's around you inform that. 
and I'll just say, and then I'll, I'll let you lead us in a little practice, but, you know, I, I personally feel too, that it's, you know, it's a matter of speed so much that a part of the trauma that right now we're experiencing is this pace of life and there's so much stimulation. So I can not only spend days or weeks or months, but years not asking questions, not, not slowing down enough to ask, what do I want to be doing with my time? I can just easily distract myself without asking that question. So um, I don't know. That's how I feel. I don't know if you have similar experience of that, but it's just a, a slowing down, I think is extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's actually, I'm going to share like a few tips that I found really helpful as far as engaging, and then we'll go into closing practice. Um, so number one is um, it's more valuable to do one authentic action. That's ex an, a true expression of your nature and, and, and is leading you towards your highest contribution is like really on your path than it is to do 10 kind of like things because you, you read it on an Instagram post. I really believe that. So um, yeah, like, like Avi said, slow down, you know, don't slow down and then jump out the ship, you know, <laughs> slow down, you know, take a rest break, come back. But um, yeah, like you get, you get to, not only do you get to spend a moment thinking like, what's my best contribution here, but we need you to do that. It's the best thing you could do. The best thing you could do is like ask that question and say like, what can I really do and focus your energy. Um, two is recognize that um, you live in an echo chamber with social media and just notice the effect that has on you as well as on everyone else, right? When you're putting out a message, most likely the social media algorithm is putting it out to people who already more or less agree with you because it doesn't show us things that make us, it shows things that make us a little bit uncomfortable, but it, it doesn't want to show us things that will have us leave the platform because then they lose a customer, right? So just recognize like when you're putting out messages, um, think about your audience and just think about that. And also think about what are you consuming, right? Like you're getting shown like a very specific reality of this. And part of that journey is go explore outside of this echo chamber that we live in and, and see, you know, learn more about what's going on. And, and, you know, maybe while you're at it, like um, have a little diet with social media at this time is really helpful. Um, the third thing that I think is really, really important is, uh, and will help you find your Dharma and your unique contribution is go join into an existing lineage in the movement. Go see what there are organizations that are been working for Black Lives Matter and like Black uh, um, racial justice or gender justice or many other things that have been doing it for decades and generations, right? If you're new in the game, go, go just like you wouldn't go like learn yoga from the internet, you go study under a yoga teacher, right? Like go under a movement yoga teacher. Go learn from the masters because there are many of them out there who have deep hearts and, and need support. And I would say that's a really, really great place to start, to start seeing like, all right, I volunteered for this organization that supports homeless people. Is that like how I want to do it? Oh, actually, maybe I want to work with like survivors of da da da, da. Or like, Oh, maybe I want to work with moving money around and, you know, whatever. So go learn from the people who've been doing the work and um, it'll be a great way for you to find your niche. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Um, there's a part of me that doesn't want it to end because it's really fulfilling to dialogue like this. Um, okay. Uh, maybe just uh, a few minutes of, of a practice yeah. of your choice. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, everyone on the call, thank you so much. Everyone who's watching on Facebook, just thank you so much for joining in this different flavor of the spiritual journey. So I just want to thank you all. And go ahead and get comfortable right now. This is this is the time to get comfortable. This moment, it's, it's a great time to just find a position where your body feels good, where this body feels beautiful and good here. noticing your breath and just letting your breath be breathed letting your mind settle just letting everything settle and asking yourself in this moment there's a lot of things we shared and you don't need to hold on to every little thought all as well. You can ground yourself in what is one thing you're taking away from this call, from this conversation? Perhaps it's an intention or an insight. Whatever that thing is, I want you to just hold it in your heart right now. And I want you to take this intention or this insight that's in your heart, and I want you to pour your love into it. I want you to just pour of yourself, your love, your love, your love into this intention. And just see that whatever it is you're taking away from this call is just pointing to who you are, what's important to you. Maybe you have an intention to reach out and learn where you can volunteer, or you have an intention to deepen your knowledge of your own ancestry and history and how you can engage with that, whatever it is. What's something that you value that is connected to this? And now we'll ground that into the earth, taking a big exhale. Inhaling deeply. And exhaling. Relax. Another deep breath in. And letting it go. One more deep, deep breath. Hold it at the top. Let it out with a sigh. Yeah. Uh, so one, one last thing is just, what is one thing you're grateful for right now in this moment? Just think of that thing. When you're ready, wiggle your fingers and toes. 
Stretch out your neck. And let that stretch get into your shoulders and your arms. Just give your body a nice big stretch. Ah. Mm. Shanti. Shanti. Mazin, thank you so much for taking the time for sharing with us. Quick plug, um, July 11th, I'm doing a workshop with the Integral Yoga Institute that you actually get to look at what is my dharma, what is my purpose, and ask these questions, and it'll be, like, interactive. So please join. And, yeah, you can find me, my name, mazinjamal.com, Instagram, whatever. I'd love to connect. And, and Mazin, for the workshop in particular, um, where, where can people go to sign up for that? Um, they can go to the Integral Yoga website. San Francisco, uh, yeah. Yeah, IYSF, and let me, it's July 11th at uh, 11 a.m. Pacific. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.